Welcome to everybody uh, joining us in the room. This evening we're recording this on a Saturday night in North Lakes. We know some people will engage with this at other times on Sunday morning, at other times. The Word of God is relevant whenever it is. We open it and engage with it and I trust you are blessed by our time together. We're in this new series we've begun called Come Together. What a cracking time in history we're living in right now, hey? In the year we've just been through and even as you look at the new right now you see the state of Victoria going back into a hard lockdown for the next five days or so and even here in Queensland no doubt some of you uh, can relate to the sense of separation that's been felt at such a time as this if you probably miss family occasions whether that be weddings funerals births significant events and families are separated and our church community feels pretty scattered at this time as well. We've had to deal with lockdowns. We've had to deal with things that seem to rage against coming together in community. And social distance isn't just social. Who knows, there's some emotional distance that's come into this situation as well. No doubt some spiritual distance has been felt. It's, it's one of the most unsettled times I'm sure we've all felt in our entire lives. So what do we mean by come together? Do we just forget about governmental advice and be one big happy family and greet each other with a holy COVID kiss? Is that our response to a situation like this? Well, no, we can't ignore the law, nor should we. But let's also just be quick to identify what's going on in our hearts and the isolation that we can feel and the isolation that we can even be responsible for putting ourselves in through a period like this. It's so critical that we continue to come together. And we've been inspired these last couple of weeks from the devotion of the early churches. They came together in devotion to God. And Acts 2.42 talks about this devotion they had to fellowship and communion and prayer. And over the next seven days here at Axis in particular, we're having a great emphasis on prayer with Prayer Week, uh, starting Sunday morning, running all the way through to next Saturday. And over these two weekends then, we're going to bookend this week of prayer by considering the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to start with the first half of that this weekend and continue with the second half of that next weekend. I'm really excited by the learnings and the inspiration that we're going to gain from this. Right off the bat, something you need to realise about the Bible is the words aren't in there just for the sake of a word count. You know, God needed his book to be 1,200 pages long, so therefore Matthew needed to have 28 chapters, which is the book of the Bible we're going to look at. No, not at all. It wasn't as though God said, well, every substantial book has at least 1,000 pages, so mine needs to have 1,200 for people to take it seriously. This is not how the Bible came to be. The Bible is far more practical than that. The Bible is even far more spontaneous than that. Everything we read in our Bibles is remedial, meaning it was answering or describing or trying to find a solution to a problem or an issue or a situation. Everything in our Bibles fits into those categories. A problem or an issue or a situation that, that is being addressed or being corrected. And here in Matthew 6 that we're going to look at, 
and I encourage you to open there, is no different. When we get to the Lord's Prayer, we find Jesus is actually correcting a wrong view of prayer. And that's what we land when we get to Matthew chapter 6. That's what we land in. Jesus named some practices here that had come normal for the time. They were common, but they were very unimpressive as far as Jesus was concerned. And he says, when you pray... Don't be like phonies who engage in prayer kind of for what they can get out of it. And he names in particular a couple of dysfunctional ways that people engage in prayer. He says people, some, some people would go out in the street and use a loud voice, be praying at the top of their lungs so that everybody else can see how spiritual they are. And Jesus says that's not what prayer's about. It's not about standing in the street and using your outside voice to get God's attention. Jesus corrects this misuse of prayer and says, until you guys can learn it's not about how you appear to everybody else, go and lock yourself in the cupboard and do it in private. Now, in case you're wondering if that's how you're supposed to do prayer all the time, no, it isn't. Because in the Old Testament, we have examples of Daniel being affirmed actually by praying in public. So the idea here isn't that we're meant to do it in private all the time. The idea is of the heart. And because their heart was all about showing off, Jesus says to them, until you can learn that it's not about what everybody else thinks of your prayers, go and do it in your cupboard. Lock yourself away. He then goes on to add another correction. He says some people think they'll be heard in prayer because of their many, many, many words. So they repeat these same phrases over and over and over again, thinking that that will somehow penetrate heaven. If they get enough Hail Marys in there, if they get enough Kumbayas, if they get enough, enough Amens, whatever it is, these key words, these phrases that they continue to repeat over and over and over again, then they will get through and penetrate the heavens. And Jesus says, no, no, no. They're meaningless words. God is not manipulated by a mountain of words. God is not manipulated by our long-winded prayers. Don't think about prayer as some point-scoring game where you reach a certain word quota and then God goes, ah, now I'll take you seriously. That's not prayer. Jesus says, actually, God already knows your needs before you say a word. So come to him with that insight like he's an attentive father because that's who he is. Come to him knowing he's a living and loving Lord who's very situationally aware of what's going on in your life. He's not some hard of hearing statue that you need to arouse with lots and lots of words. No, no, no. No, no. So the Lord's Prayer comes into this corrective context and corrects these misconceptions, these wrong practices that were common at the time about prayer. Last week in our big idea was prayer is primarily not a religious obligation, but instead a relational opportunity. As we dive in to consider what we now call the Lord's Prayer over this weekend, I think this principle here will only grow bigger for us. I hope we come to see the opportunities that are provided in the Lord's Prayer are incredible. They're amazing. It's a relational opportunity. Today I'd like us to do things a little differently. Two things will be different. We're going to go old school and read from the King James Version. That's because many people are familiar with the Lord's Prayer and I want to honour that and the terminology that you might be familiar with. So that's one thing that will be different. Secondly, as a sign of our unity together in prayer with 
God, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to actually read it all together in unison. So would you stand right now and read with me the Lord's Prayer? Let's go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks. Please be seated. This is the word of the Lord and may he add his blessing to the reading of his word. Prayer is not primarily a religious obligation. It's a relational opportunity. As we consider the first half of the Lord's Prayer today, you'll be blessed to see the relational opportunity loaded right here. I want us to consider three. The opportunity to look up, the opportunity to grow up, the opportunity to keep up. This is what we find here in the first half of the Lord's Prayer. The opportunity to look up. We look up to our Father in heaven who has a holy name. The Lord's Prayer begins with an introduction to the recipient of our prayers. It's none other than our Father who resides in heaven. And we look up to him. This is the first opportunity of prayer. Now, when Jesus gave us this model, I'm not sure he realised all of these years later how controversial this might be. That we call God Father. At least in the minds of some people, this is a problem. I recall being in a prayer time some time back and there was somebody praying in that group that said, begun their prayer with, Dear Heavenly Parent, just to avoid using the word Father. So is it wrong to call God Father? Is God of the male gender? Well, conservatives are horrified that anyone would ever dare question that. And progressive folks are horrified that male terminology is just assumed. A word on the gender of God, by no means a final word. We only have time to clip this idea, a drive-by. But a couple of passing reflections. We need to consider, is God a man? It's not my intention to be crude at all, but I'll run the risk of being very blunt here. I don't see any biblical evidence of God having male sexual organs. So I don't think God's a typical male in the normal way that we might describe what it means to be male. I am a male, distinctively male, not a female. God, however, is above. God's above these human descriptions of sexuality. In a book in 2007 called The Shack, which became a movie 10 years later, God is portrayed in this book as a mother. And this book became highly controversial because God was portrayed as a mother. I found it, to be honest, a wee bit amusing because the book wasn't a theology book. The book was a novel. And in a novel, you take creative license. I have theological issues with that book, by the way. But my biggest issue is not that the analogy of God as mother was used. Here's why. Jesus does a similar thing. In this book of Matthew that we're looking at this weekend, later in this book, same book, 
chapter 23 of Matthew, we find Jesus actually using a feminine analogy of God. Jesus looks out at Jerusalem, the city that he loves, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, I've longed, I've longed to bring you in and to care for you. Notice these words, as a mother hen cares for her chicks. Hang on, Jesus, didn't you mean something about a rooster? <laughs> no. Jesus says, as a mother hen cares for her chickens, I wanted to gather you. whoops a daisy that's a bad analogy, isn't it? Well, it's just that. It's an analogy. I find it a little bit silly to get all worked up about analogies. So what do you call God, Jono, then? Your heavenly mother? No, I don't. Jesus, over 200 times, referred to God as his father. So I'm simplistic enough to go, I reckon he might know. <laughs> I reckon he might know best what we call him. And I just use that as my guide. I'll refer to my heavenly father in the same way Jesus did. Now that I've upset you all, let's get back on point with the Lord's Prayer. The big idea here is we have someone to direct our prayers to. And that's amazing. That's exciting. The deepest longings of our heart can be directed towards our Heavenly Father who sits on a throne. Here's what prayer is not then, clearing out our minds until they're blank. You know, that's how some people engage in spirituality. You've just got to clear your mind. You've just got to be free. You've just got to enter into that dark space and then you create an image out of your own mind. Well, you might, but don't call that biblical prayer because it isn't. It's far from it. Prayer according to the model given by Jesus is addressing a real person on a real throne and it's our Heavenly Father. Prayer commences with the recognition of this opportunity we have to look up towards heaven to our Heavenly Father. We're not then looking to ourselves. We don't have the answers inside ourselves. We don't even look sideways to a trusted peer or a professional counsellor. We ultimately look up for help to our Heavenly Father. Prayer begins also with the exaltation of the name of God. We want His name to be hallowed. Hallowed be your name. This is a rare idea, certainly for me. I grew up in Victoria and uh, the MCG, the Melbourne Cricket Ground, was in you know, a big sporting highlight. Certainly the Victorians are very proud of that. And, and the, the commentators actually call that the hallowed turf of the MCG. Often you, when you see a broadcast begin at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, they'll say, welcome to the hallowed turf of the MCG. What do they mean? Well, it's referring to its fame. Certainly in sporting prominence, it's unrivaled, it's up there. That's where Boxing Day cricket is held. That's where the Olympic Games were held. This is where the grand final of the AFL is held with 100,000 people packed in there. I mean, it's unrivaled, it's hallowed. It's in a league of its own in terms of sporting venues. In a far greater way though, God's name is to be hallowed. It's in a league of its own. 
It's like no other name. Nothing can be compared to it. And the opportunity we have in prayer is to address this great name, to call on this great name, to honour this great name, to recognise it's our dad who sits on the throne. Prayer is a relational opportunity to look up above the present challenges and see things from a heavenly point of view. Prayer gives us the opportunity to affirm God is God. We are not. He is ruling on the throne and we get to address him to look up. Prayer is also an opportunity to grow up. We see this in the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is an opportunity to grow up, an opportunity for the revelation. Hey, Jono, maybe what you want in life isn't the main game. Fancy that. Never thought of that. There's a novel idea. Prayer teaches me this. There's an available position to enter into where I can get beyond myself to a point of maturity where I begin to think of God's will above my own. Prayer is the transportation method that can take me there into a headspace where I see grander things and just what I want in life. Your will be done. So much of the time our lives are thoroughly selfish. It can be all about what I want. And it's a real challenge, isn't it, for us humans to shake that off. We're predisposed towards it. And we carry that selfishness into our prayer lives. If we're honest, a better representation of our prayers might be, Lord, let my kingdom come. Jono's, and let my will be done. But that's not the emphasis here. Jesus doesn't give us that permission. He says it's an opportunity to affirm that what God wants matters most, more than mine. The cry of our hearts becomes about his will and his way. God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Prayer then is less about getting our will done in heaven and more about getting God's will done on earth. And this is a massive perspective shift for many of us. Although this alone is a big topic worth chasing down more, another conversation emerges with this statement that we must grasp a hold of. A conversation about the relationship between heaven and earth. See, in my upbringing, I thought heaven was all about the future, the afterlife, I didn't know there was an overlap between heaven and earth. I didn't know that the two actually touched one another. Now, let's admit that defining heaven is super problematic. When we start to explain what heaven is, we end up being lost for words. There's just so many things we could say about it. Allow me to do the opposite, to take a minimalist approach and use just four words. What is heaven? What is hell? Let's start with hell. Hell, beyond everything else, is the absence of God. So heaven then, when we bring it down in it to its purest form, is the presence of God. In its most basic form, that's what heaven is. Where God is. Where God is. Now I get it that we could say a whole lot more about heaven, but we'd never exhaust the subject but in its simplest form, we come back to this fundamental idea. Hell is where God isn't. 
Heaven is where God is. Where God is, there is light and hope and joy. And that's everything heaven will be. And where God isn't, there's darkness and hopelessness and torment. And that's everything hell would be. For the sake of time, let's not continue in that can of worms theologically. Let's keep our attention on the Lord's Prayer. And what does it mean for heaven in this respect? Your will be done on earth, just like in heaven. Whatever else this means, it must mean this. God is interested in our present world, our current context. God is very interested, actually. And the teaching I grew up with where heaven was just the place you went when you died and re really didn't think much about it till then, this life was just a test that you had to get through in order to get to the place where life really begins, the afterlife, yeah? So you just need to get this life over and done with so that you can get there to heaven. As I review this perspective in light of the Lord's Prayer, I realise it comes up short. It doesn't quite attach to this prayer very well. Heaven touches this present world now. This is a desire of God, clearly. Even a casual read of the Lord's Prayer tells us this, God is interested in his kingdom coming now. His will being done where? With you North Lakes, in North Lakes. Here. God isn't saving energy up for a grand party when we all die. His best work is being started now. And his work is always of a restorative nature. So he wants our cafes, our supermarkets, our schools, our streets to be touched with his presence now. And this is our prayer that heaven's influence permeates our culture and our lives now as the presence of God works out through us in the community. This is core to a disciple's prayer language, that the influence of heaven will be felt on earth now. What I find stunning missing from this prayer is the personal transaction. You know, God, grant me a safe place in heaven, that's not so much here. That's a small prayer. That's a personal prayer, maybe an important one, but here is a far bigger perspective. Let your kingdom come into our city. Imagine if we take that perspective into the coming week of prayer. As we meet here on Sunday in the building, but then as we go into Lake Eden on Monday. Imagine if we take that perspective, walking around the lake, walking around our streets, Lord, Lord, let your kingdom come. Could be the Lord calling right now as we speak. <laughs> In saying prayer is an opportunity to affirm life is most about God, the danger for us then is to start thinking, oh, so I'm not allowed to raise anything personal with God. It's all about his will. It's all about his way. It's all about his kingdom. So therefore, I better not say anything about what I feel I need. I need to centre all my prayers on God and his good name. It would be irreverent to bring anything personal before him. Well, no. No. We get an invitation next to keep up, to keep it practical. Give us this day our daily bread. The Lord's Prayer gets around to the give us point. Our issue is that most of us start here 
That's not the starting point of prayer. The starting point of prayer is first honouring God's name and will, and then the opportunity to bring our own needs before our Father. Here is the opportunity for us to affirm that we are not self-sufficient, that we cannot do it on our own, that we need God's provision. And the good news is we can expect to get it. Here is an opportunity for us to affirm we have a good Father interested in our daily bread. Our Heavenly Father has been providing for His people down through the ages since the beginning of time. And He's been doing that just. You say, what do you mean just? Well, that tends to be how he does it. He meets our needs just. There's no promise here of wishes or desires or indulgences. It's just needs. And they come with a promise. Your needs will be covered by your generous father. We read way back in the book of Exodus in the Bible. Check it out in your own time. God provided for his people just each day as they wandered through the wilderness, there's testimony given of this strange sight, bread falling down from heaven. It was called manna, which simply means what is it? They were just as stunned as you would be if you walked out tonight and found bread falling down from heaven. They're like, what is it? What is it? So it was manna. That's what it was called. Manna fell daily. Here's the thing to note. The provision was daily, not weekly, not monthly, not annually. The promised provision was daily. Why? Because God wants to keep us dependent. Isn't that frustrating? Don't you want to know the next 10 steps of what's happening in your life, not just the next one? But isn't this often how God works? Because he wants us to walk by faith. He wants us to stay dependent to him. He wants us to depend on him for every single step. And so he often provides just, just enough, just enough to get you through the next step. <laughs> How'd they go with this daily provision? Well, they struggle with it as much as we do. They began stockpiling. I said, well, God sends this manna down from heaven. I've got an idea. I'm going to collect extra and I'm going to store it. So I've got some for later. What happened? It went mouldy in their tents. It didn't work tomorrow. It didn't work the day after. The only day in the providence of God they could store enough was on their day of rest. Then this stuff called manna lasted two days. But otherwise, they had to go out and collect every single day. God kept them dependent by providing just what they need. He'll do that for us too. Maybe you're struggling because you're trying to stockpile. You're like, well, I just want to guarantee my future. You know, God has a way of turning that idea mouldy. And very often... He kind of continues to push us into a corner and says, will you trust me? Will you continue to give? Will you continue to be generous? Will you continue to, to obey the callings that I've put on your life, even though you're not sure what this time next year will look like or even 10 years down the track? Will you 
trust me for your daily provision. This point is an affirmation that we rely on our Heavenly Father for all of our needs. We can rest, we can shake off the fear of the future, we can be confident because we are kids of the King and our Heavenly Father is on the throne. We are privileged to live under His care. I love this quote by Tim Keller, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3am for a glass of water is their child. We have that kind of access. Let that ring in your hearts again this weekend. You have that kind of access. You get to wake up a king at 3 o'clock in the morning for a glass of water. Nobody would do that except their own child. And that's what our Heavenly Father offers to us. We have this kind of access for one reason and one reason only. It's not because we've got our lives all sorted out. It's not because we've got an impeccable church attendance. It's not because we've even done a great job of following God. It's because of Jesus. As we continue to come to him, he keeps saying, yes, come home. Come home, son. Come home, daughter. You have a place with the Father. And so we're going to move into communion in just a moment. And I invite you to stand for prayer as we do that. And again, a reminder, the Lord's Prayer, a relational opportunity to look up, to grow up and to keep up, all because of Jesus. And so Jesus, we give you thanks, we give you praise for your goodness in our lives, for the opportunity we have of coming to you and finding you to be more than enough, finding that it's a wonderful thing to be able to look up and know that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's a wonderful thing, Lord, to be able to grow up, to be able to get outside ourselves, to be able to have a perspective that's bigger and broader and more exciting than just what we want to what you have planned for our lives. And we thank you, God, that you have provided all of our needs. And our greatest need is to have a connection with you. And we thank you for this communion time. And the reminder of it is that, God, we need you. Lord, we need you. And you have provided a way through Jesus to be right with you.